I know a little bit about you just through kind of what you share, but just give me the rundown of who John is. So like you got wife, I mean, how, so yeah, we could just family situation. We'll just start there. So what's. Oh yeah. I mean, um, I guess I'm, I'm just to- totally normal guy. <laughs> I mean, right. uh, you know, I've got a, uh, I've got a wife, uh, Casey. Okay. Uh, and then I've got a son. Um, and I live in North Alabama, uh, you know, and I, I make, content online i've got a regular day job as a software engineer so there's okay. that um and we're in alabama yeah, I, uh north alabama so uh like the huntsville area okay cool so i live in mobile so and i lived in birmingham for years so we're in huntsville or like just like uh, you in huntsville <laughs> yeah yeah i'm just sort of in 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 the huntsville area um <clears throat> so yeah uh, th- th- cool. that's where I'm at. I, I did live in mobile for about six months when I was younger. Um, okay. yeah. And so I've been, I've lived in, uh, I, li- I mean, I say I lived in South Alabama, but you know, I, I was only there for six months. Uh, otherwise I've spent <laughs> right. most of my time up here in North Alabama between Decatur and Huntsville. So it's kind of generally where I've been. Cool. And what's your son's name? Uh, my, uh, my son's name is Xander. Okay. That's awesome. And then if you, I don't know how you are with sharing it private info on. So, if, but how old is he? If you're comfortable. Oh, he's a teenager. Okay, cool. Awesome. Yeah. I, a lot, a lot of people are like, I can't believe you have a teenage son, but yeah, he's a, he's, he's a teenager. So he's a, he's going through the teenager phase right now. Nice. That's always fun. <laughs> uh, that's super cool, man. So I really didn't, I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't expect you to live in North Alabama. Okay. This is, this makes this now 10 times more interesting of everything I know about you. There's a lot of light bulbs going off and yeah. so yeah, this is going to be super fun. Okay. So have you lived anywhere else than Alabama or have you just been in Alabama in all your life? I mean, I've, I've lived in Alabama all my life. Um, okay. Yeah. I've, I've, been other places like i just recently right. went back from a vacation where we visited italy france uh monte carlo monaco sorry right uh monaco spain and portugal okay nice okay so i mean for someone who lives in alabama not only are you like like, I mean, well, I had the email used. I have a lot of friends that like are that don't believe in God or but they lack an articulation that you go in debt that you really have. Like they can kind of articulate, they have their reasons and all that, but you have gone to a level that you had just really, you know, I have very few friends that can even like some of them know about you and then I point them, I pointed many people to you. It's like, hey, he's he's a smart dude, go listen to him. But so no, that's why I shot you yeah. an email because I thought this would be super fun. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a little uh, weird for me, I guess, to hear that the Christians are you know talking about me in that kind of way. Um, so that that's kind of weird. <laughs> well, I'm not scared. Like what I don't love about just the rep. So I'm not a pastor or anything. Like I, I'm getting a degree in biblical literature, but that's simply. I just love 
that's just kind of a passion that I've always had. I thought I was going to be a pastor my whole time I was a kid, but now I work for a media production company pretty much. And we do have a wing that's a Christian publishing wing. But other than that, I mean, I'm so, well, there are, I wouldn't say probably not many are simply because mm-hmm. the Christian, the biblical literacy of Christianity is scarily low. And then therefore pastors guard and put little hedges around people. And then they go out into the real world and they're like, oh, there's actually logical reasons not to believe in God. Then their whole faith is wrecked. So I actually point people to you to be like, listen, they're smart people. (laughs) They're not these idiot lunatics that videos that you post make (laughs) of pastors who I definitely don't agree with make Mm. atheists or agnostics out to be. So I actually think it's more helpful to be like, hey, here's some smart people. Go listen to them. And if you, you agree with them, then please go ahead. So, yeah. so, no, so I just wanted well, to start out. I have mad respect for you just all the way through. <laughs> go ahead. Well, that, that, that's good to hear. I, I mean, I've, uh, you know, I, g- typically, you know, people, uh, you know, have two, one of two reactions to, you know, I guess, well, well thought out or well reasoned um, explanations for why somebody doesn't believe. And, uh, you know, it's either they become more entrenched in their, in their faith or that they, they become uh, more secure in their faith, or, you know, they, they start questioning more things and eventually they fall out of the faith. But I mean, it it really kind of just depends on the person, um, right. you know, because, you know, while my content might convince some people to start questioning more, uh, which is what I, I hope to get people to do, uh, other people might feel more emboldened in their faith after listening to some of my arguments. So, I mean, it it it, it works out however it works out. Right. So how is that journey for you? So you grew up in Alabama. So it'd be, did you grow up going to church in any way, shape or form? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I uh, started out uh, Catholic. My family's Catholic. My dad, uh, his whole family's still Catholic um, and uh, he's still Catholic. And um, but after my parents divorced, we eventually left the Catholic church and um, kind of bounced around different uh, denominations. Um, my, my mom wasn't all that religious for a good while. Uh, and then she kind of jumped back into it. Um, I began to get back into like religion, uh, when I was, I guess maybe a teenager. Um, because, you know, all of my friends, they were very religious and they were going to like church and, uh, youth services and all this other stuff. So I, you know, it, since my friends were doing it, you know, I was like, well, well, you know, I should probably do it too kind of thing. Um, and so I, uh, you know, I got in, I got back into religion. And so I kind of had like a back and forth kind of relationship with religion there for a while. I would, I would be really into it. And then I would, you know, uh, I'd do other things and, and, you know, I'd, I guess, fall out of it or at least not be as strictly adherent to it. And then I'd feel compelled to get more strictly adherent to it. So it just kind of went back and forth like that. But um, I went to private Catholic school uh, until fourth grade. Uh, and then I left there, went to public school. Um, and um, but but I, I grew up in a very, uh, I guess, a very religious household. Um, although the the idea of God and uh, Christianity in general was just kind of taken as a um, 
an assumed fact. Like it was just kind of like a de facto thing. Um, and so we, we didn't really put a lot of emphasis on it at the time, just because like there was no real concern about non-belief or anything like that. Um, so, uh, you know, growing up, you know, we were religious, but you know, we weren't so hardcore religious. Um, and I mean, there were a lot of times where I, I look back on myself and, you know, I found myself being a little, I guess, embarrassed, uh, by, you know, like some of the things, um, I experienced in religion. And, uh, I felt, uh, you know, while, while I was Christian, I was, I was pretty unsure of, um, a few like worship practices, uh, that I experienced in different places. Like, um, I went to this one, uh, church where everybody was just very, um, excited. <laughs> and, you know, I just, I guess I was just never that excited like about church or anything like that. And I don't know if maybe that's because I grew up Catholic and, um, Catholic is very mechanical, uh, right. because, you know, you go to mass and there's a very specific set of rituals that you got to do during mass. And it's just all very one right after another. So like whenever I was in mass, I, I, I could identify when we had like 10 minutes left before we were able to get out. And so like, I was just, I was happy to be at that point. I'm like, yes, we're kneeling for the fifth time. Time, that means we're about to leave. Um, and so I, I was never all that excited like about religious services. So, I mean, maybe that had some kind of play into it, but, um, you know, I was never the kind of person that would go around proselytizing my faith or anything like that, or really talking about like why people should believe in God or Jesus or why they should adhere to my particular denomination. I, I never really felt all that connected to any one denomination um you know in in so far as much as i felt connected to religion in the first place so um so i mean a lot of people might want to point at that and be like well you were never really a christian or you never you were never really religious or something like that but i mean i feel like that's you know trying to state knowledge that you don't necessarily have. Like I, I knew what I believed and I, I vividly remember several instances where it's like, no, there's no way that, you know, I was doing that and I didn't really believe in God, you know, kind of thing where I didn't really uh, believe in the things that I, I believed in. So, um, you know, people oftentimes try to try to play the, the, the card of, well, you weren't really a Christian or you weren't, re you weren't a true believer or something like that. But I mean, I think a lot of people get lost in uh, what does it mean to be a true believer to truly be a Christian or something like that. Some people really focus way too hard on that because I feel like as long as, as you, you know, believe in God and you believe in Jesus as the one, one way to get into heaven and other theological aspects around that. Um, I mean, I think you're just as Christian as anybody else. Um, and so, you know, I, I, it just really bugs me now when people try to use like somebody's adherence level as a way to say, well, you didn't truly believe kind of thing. That's, that always seems kind of shady and, and scummy to me. No, definitely. How I'd normally try to tell people is at the end of the day, you are not the judge. There's only one judgment talked about in the entire Bible, and that is when someone stands before God. Therefore, it's not your role to tell someone if they were really a believer or not. So, no, that's totally, yeah, um, that's 
crappy you have to yeah that's crappy you still have to deal with that because no you're definitely right that's totally yeah that's definitely a douchebag move but again it's because they don't it's they don't know how else to defend it i mean just kind of like you present a very scary facts for someone who has zero like churches don't talk about the things you talk about like it is scary how many churches just will so this is when i started asking about apologetics excuse <clears throat> i was told well you're never going to talk someone into heaven unless they'll be able to be talked out of heaven. So that's why we don't talk about these facts. And I was like, well, that's kind of sketch. So, and that's kind of <laughs> how I started my journey. <laughs> but so no, I've definitely been a more of a skeptic than, yeah. which I'm definitely coming at it more from a skeptic perspective than the normal Christian. Cause I mean, that was in seventh grade when I was told that it was just, so I'm 24 now. So it's, so it's definitely been a, well, yeah. <clears throat> uh, and, and I mean, um, in, in, in my experience, in my life experience, um, people in, in more academic settings are, you, you know, if they're, if they're not scared of the answer, uh, you know, that, or they're not scared of the topic mm. or something like that. They're very eager to like sit down and explain things to you and are very adverse to preventing people from asking questions. And, uh, you know, I even, I'm even, I even continue this today uh, of, you know, if, if there's ever something that somebody's like, well, you know, you just don't need to ask those questions or you don't need to think about those things that, that just makes me want to know why they are saying that even more. Like, why, why don't you want me to ask this question? Like what, mm -hmm. what, what is behind this question that I need to know? And you're like, Oh, don't look <clears throat> back there, you know, kind of thing. And so, um, I, I feel like um, the tactic of of thought stopping, um, which is um, you know kind of what we're talking about here, getting people to stop thinking about something. Mm -hmm. I think that's a common tactic that you know some people use to prevent people from thinking too critically about a topic, and it, it's one of the things that I really hate because you've got thought stopping. Like there's thought stopping tactics even in the atheist community as well as in the uh, religious community. And I think that if anybody ever encounters a, a, a time when they, you know, they're asking questions or they want to know more about something and the person is just basically gets to a point where they're just like, they give you some kind of canned line that makes you stop thinking about it. Like, oh, well, it's because God says so and that's why it's fine. And like, you're not supposed to ask any more questions. Like that's a thought stopping you know, way to respond to somebody. And I feel like if, if you ever encounter that, like it, it gives you, you know, that should be a clue for you to be, find out why they don't want to talk about it. And, you know, some of the harder verses in the Bible that I still have problems with today and is, is one of the reasons why, you know, I, I'm not so easily convinced of the, the Christian, um, uh, position, um, is, uh, you know, stuff like Numbers 31, where God commands uh, entire people groups to be wiped out and then young girls taken as sexual slaves. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I recently told uh, somebody about that passage and they didn't have a good answer for me. 
about it is like, yeah, that's a, that's a tough one to really chew on there. I don't have a good answer for that. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like putting it in the perspective of, well, this right here, I have a lot of problems with squaring with the rest of Christian theology that's been taught to me. And um, that's the reason why I don't believe. And I, I, I feel like a lot of people are stopped by some apologists out there that, get them to stop thinking about it by just giving them these canned responses that are geared to do exactly that. Yeah, no, definitely. It's yeah, it's, and it's because again, kind of the biblical literacy thing, kind of why I started doing what I do, just the podcast and everything is because there's scary amounts of thought stopping all throughout Christianity. And it's like, we have good like. This thing would have lasted 2,000 years if we didn't have good responses. You're just too lazy to go find them. And yes, Mm -hmm. there is still holes. Like I can look at you and be like, yes, there are some of your arguments that I am still chewing on. There are some of Richard Carrier's arguments I'm chewing on. But at the end of the day, it's like, I mean, from the Christian perspective, if you can't look at those arguments and be like, okay, I can chew on that, then your faith level is small. Like, if you can't rest in that tension, I honestly more encourage you to take a break. Like, just see what your life goes. If you kind of give in and, like, try not to be a Christian for a while. And if there's a difference and you kind of feel like, okay, there's a hole here or maybe there's there's something different, then find where the difference is. And if God was the difference, then there's that. But if you can't rest in with there's a hole here, here, and here. And there's parts where you're just going to have to say, I don't know. Then you're going to live with that trouble for the rest of your life. So you need to choose now if you're okay with that or if you're just, or if that's going to be so messing up in your everyday life. You just need to go ahead and like, just, just find a different life. Like not find a different life. Like there's faith somewhere, which like, not fate somewhere. You can always go find an answer. So I'm not so I don't try to use a thought stopper, but it's more of like if this troubles you so much, there's a reason. Go find why this troubles you. And if it's because that's gonna be the thing that leads you to say, hey, God's not I don't believe God is real, then go pursue that. So it's more of trying to egg them on more so. Does that make sense? Yeah. I I mean, um, a lot of people think that like my channel and, um, you know, my brand and everything like that is geared towards getting people to leave their faith. But I've always emphasized that the only thing that I ever want to do is to get people to critically consider what they believe and why they believe it. And, you know, as long as you've done that and not allowed somebody else to tell you what to think, I think that you know, regardless of what side you come out on, I mean, that's the only thing that I want out of, out of everything that I do is because I spent, um, 25 years of my life, you know, not carefully considering what I believed and why I believed it. And I just sort of accepted what people told me about, you know, different things like, you know, God, uh, religion, and, uh, a lot of other things and coming from the South. And I don't know if you've gotten this, but like, um, you know, I've had, um, relatives that are 
just, you know, p- problematic, I would say. Like, they're very problematic viewpoints, very problematic things that I was taught as a child that I've had to come to terms with and, and really correct my own perspective on things. And, um, I think that it, you know, it's, it's growing up in a household where I was just told to like, okay, well, this is what you should believe. And, you know, this is the only thing that you should believe about this one thing. And just sort of listening to that and accepting it and not critically thinking about it is, uh, you know, kind of what I did for 25 years. And, uh, I, the, the, the one thing that I want to do with, you know, the godless engineer brand is to get people to critically think about, you know, what they believe and why they believe it. And as long as, as, as I can do that for people, I'm, I'm perfectly happy regardless of whether or not they're Christian or atheist. And I think that a lot of people see me explaining why I don't believe or me explaining what holes I see in religious arguments. They see that as me wanting to take other people's religion away from them or me wanting to convince people away from their religion. But in reality, I'm just hoping to explain to people why I'm no longer a believer, <clears throat> why, why I no longer believe in this particular uh, religion or, or any religion uh, at all. And um, I, 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 there, there are people that want to see it as me wanting to take people's religion away. You okay, hon? You're okay. It's all right. <laughs> Um, the, the, they see me as wanting to take their religion away, but I just, I feel like that's a bit of a defense mechanism because, you know, I I feel like a lot of people with the advent of, you know, um, social media as well as the internet and everything like that, they, uh, you know, they're unindated with all of this stuff and, you know, just coming across the very notion that people don't believe or that people are criticizing uh, different religious arguments or, or criticizing their God in general, I, I feel like they take it as a very personal attack when it's really not meant to be. It's it's really just meant to be a criticism of the religion, which, you know, is not a personal uh, attack on, on anybody in particular. It's not even required, like it's not demanding that anybody leave their faith or anything like that. It's just like, hey, look, here is a bad thing and I, uh, and I can't reconcile this bad thing. And this is a problem. Is it a problem for you? <laughs> kind of thing. It's, it's just, it's about conversation. And a lot of people, a lot, a lot of people have problems separating the personal from the just very generic religious criticism. Right. Yeah. No, that, and then I've even seen that with the, as opposed, like, opposed mainly, like, biblically encouraging content, you know, just giving people a little hope with a little bit of apologetic stuff. I kind of dabbled in a little bit, and then just kind of some thoughts I had while, re- while reading a lot of Richard Carrier stuff. I don't, I don't mean only comment that, hey, I kind of was reading this, and here's, I'm kind of responding to this viewpoint, but I don't like to say, I'm, I don't do, rea- I hate reaction videos. So just like any, mm-hmm. like, I read this, and here's why he's going to, like, just, it's stupid when people, but just kind of musing on those thoughts. That's why I respected you so much is just because like in the comments, I would just get pounded. Just like, hey, do you, like I was, you know, I got a little, in what, it was like, um, just like personal attacks. And I'm like, yo, this isn't going to help any, like, I just wanted to do this as a convo. And then there was, don't get me wrong. I've had a lot of great conversations in the comment section, but like, well, I just really wanted the 
chat with you and why you just stuck out to me is just because how like that's it's easy to see that you're just like, hey, I'm not trying to do anything for you. I'm just saying, here's a fact. Here's mm-hmm. how I'm seeing it. Here's the research I'm looking at. You can do with this what you desire. So that was just super respectable. That's why you kind of stuck out out of just because then because on both sides, it's just like there's a lot of I, it gets personal. And when you do personal attacks, that's not going to help anyone, no matter if you're Christian condemning people to hell or you're an atheist saying that they worship a magic sky bunny and are like just either way. It's not helpful. I, I, I agree. And uh, I mean, I think that just goes to show that you know, both sides of the conversation can kind of, you know, take the, take the, the low road, uh, as it were. And, um, typically in, in conversations, I, um, I, I, I try to focus on like having the conversation rather than, you know, insulting a person. There are a few occasions uh, on a few particular topics with people that I've already conversed with that, I, I kind of, I'm already at that point where, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a a bit more insulting about it, I guess, but I feel like that's more on a personal level because I've already had interactions with them and we like, there's for one reason or another, the conversation just devolved into this other person being like a a condescending douchebag. And, you know, it's kind of like, uh, it's a burnt bridge for me. Uh, but yeah. typically if, if I'm having a conversation with somebody and it's like, you know, fresh, you know, uh, um, contact or whatever, you know, I, I don't see the point in, in immediately coming out with very vitriolic sort of, um, uh, abrasive, uh, uh, tone and, and, um, content and, and interaction. Um, you know, that's if you're wanting somebody to listen to you and have a meaningful conversation and for to get them to carefully consider, you know, the the arguments that they have or your arguments against their arguments, you know, throwing vinegar at them is just not going to help. And so I, right. I that's why I, I, I try not to. I try not to get to that point. And if I ever if I ever find myself where I'm getting to that point. I just know that that's the point where I need to cut off like contact because at that point there's, there's not going to be more productive conversation. You just, you know, you've got to put it down uh, basically the the whole conversation. Right. Yeah. So I just love how you do that. So I just wanted to kind of muse on that for a second. So kind of getting back to a little bit of your story, what were the things that began the shift from you kind of never really so what I'm hearing, you never really faded from, you went from kind of very devoted to like, I still believe in God, but I'm just not living as devout as maybe I was before. What shifted mm-hmm. you from that to, okay, maybe this whole thing isn't what I've been told. Maybe this isn't real. So kind of where did the shift start happening for you and why? Well, yeah. So, I mean, I, um, I can, I can pinpoint kind of the night that, you know, I, I started to, you know, critically consider what I actually believed, you know, as far as religion goes. And, um, 
so the the way that you describe me going back and forth is pretty accurate because like I would be very devout and then I would not be so devout, but I always, uh, you know, whenever I was in that kind of phase, I'd always have this massive guilt, like, Oh, I should be going to church or I should be doing these things. Like these are things that I should be doing. And, um, I've, 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 I would feel that way. And and so I'd go back and forth and it was, it was during one of those times where I was, you know, um, kind of, I was, I believed in God and everything. And I, I felt pretty secure in my faith, but, um, you know, I was, I was, I was teetering, you know, I was in that, I was in that kind of low phase of, of low, um, devotion, I guess, to the religion. And I was more focused on, you know, the social aspects of being part of like, uh, in this particular instance, it was a church softball team. Uh, I was, I was playing on the church softball team and, um, you know, I, I, w- I was sitting there and I was just, you know, thinking about what I believed in everything. And I had a friend and he said, well, and I, I, this is going to be sound, you know, bad, but my friend goes, well, if you don't believe in the Bible from cover to cover as literal history, um, then you're not a real Christian. <laughs> and, uh, you know, n- now looking back on it now, I recognize that as a no true Scotsman fallacy because I mean, uh, there, there are plenty of different interpretations of the Bible as to, you know, whether or not you think it's literal history or metaphorical or something like that. Like there's a lot of different interpretations, uh, of it. It's, it's not just like this one thing. Um, right. but at the time I, I didn't really know about like that kind of like how fallacious that was or anything like that. And so like, as soon as he said that, uh, my friend, I, I immediately knew that I was no longer a Christian or at least I didn't consider myself a Christian because I didn't believe in the Bible as literal history from cover to cover. Uh, you know, there's, there was a lot of problems, uh, like that I had with Noah's Ark and the creation account that's in Genesis and all that. So like, he's telling me, Oh, well, you have to believe in this, you know, as a hundred percent literal, then, um, you know, you're, you're, you're not, you're not a Christian. What is going on with my tablet over here? It needs to stop. <laughs> Sorry, it was bugging the crap out. Of no, me. you're totally, you're totally good, bro. Um. So, anyways, um, uh, I, I so I immediately knew that I wasn't Christian anymore, or at least I thought I wasn't a Christian anymore. So I had to figure out what I actually believed, and so what I did then was I started on this journey where I was, um, looking at like debates on the topic uh, and, and uh, reading arguments and counter arguments and all that. But for me, really, it was the, it was the debates because, you know, you could juxtapose both arguments right next to each other as presented by the speakers. And I mean, it really kind of depends on what debates you watch. So there are some debates out there that are just, you know, trash uh, fire uh, or dumpster fires is what it's called. (laughs) But, um, you know, at the time, there weren't really like a lot of debates that were happening, especially in the amateur online community. There was really only professional debates between like philosophers and uh, 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 religious apologists and all that. And so I, I watched a few of those and, you know, juxtaposing the the atheist or the, the secular 
arguments against the religious arguments, I just I found myself leaning more towards the, the secular or atheist arguments because those seemed to make more sense to me and and made more sense to my very analytically minded brain. And um, the religious side of it didn't really um, sway me at all. Like it, it, to me, it came off as people that were really banking on just assuming certain things rather than proving or logically validating or, or having logically sound arguments uh, for their positions. And so, uh, you know, I, at the end of it, I just sort of came to the realization that, you know, well, I just, I don't believe in God anymore. And I, I have to say that that was probably one of the harder things that I've had to do um, in, in this entire journey um, was admit to myself that I didn't believe because my entire life I had been, you know, told that, you know, well, God exists and that's the way that you should be. And it was just kind of the de facto sort of position. And it was like one of those things that sort of defined you as a good person, or at least that's how it'd been um, uh, uh, presented to me. And, uh, you know, I always wanted to be a good person, you know, to people. And uh, so like, that's, that's one of the things that factored into my struggle with how devoted I was to religion. Like, it's like, oh, I want to be a good person. So I should go to church more. And, you know, so there was that kind of internal struggle when I was still a Christian, but, um, you know, admitting to myself that I, I was no longer a, a believer in any kind of God, uh, that was the hardest hurdle for me to get over. And once I got over that hurdle, um, you know, it, it, it would take a lot for me to shift back. And uh, so it, it, Definitely wasn't a light switch kind of moment. Like it's not like one thing, you know, totally flipped me to atheism. It was it was more like one thing started me on a path to really investigate what I believed and why I believed it. And at the end of that particular journey, I had to say to myself, "Why well, don't believe anymore?" And so that's that's pretty much how I, I I came to my present position, which is ever evolving. Like it's I, I I'm I'm really glad that I'm not stagnant in my point of view. Um, not not right. to say that like Christians are stagnant necessarily. Um, I think that there there are some uh, denominations and and some people out there that are stagnant in their faiths, but um, right. For which is kind of like where I was. Like I was I feel like I was pretty stagnant in my faith, but. Um, now, my 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 worldview is ever evolving. Like I'm ever considering things, and I'm I'm always reevaluating like why I believe something or why I I think something, and I always double check myself and all that kind of stuff, which is vastly different from how I was when I was a believer um, on this particular topic. So, um, right. yeah, I'm I'm glad that I moved out of that, uh, and and I'm always you know. Um, I'm always evaluating, you know, what I believe. Right. So cool. So let's just, so you mentioned specifically the creation account in Noah's Ark. So let's start with the creation account just because I really, I love, yeah, I just love listening to stuff like this. So just what about the creation account? Just was like, oh. okay, this isn't, you know, just kind of why is the, the debates that we're dealing with the creation account in Genesis one through two that just were that made you question it all. Well, uh, I mean, it's it's really the um, 
I, I guess it's really how divorced b- both accounts are from reality and how reality works. Um, uh, you know, you could start at the very beginning with Genesis one um, and, you know, being that God said, and let there be light. Uh, that's, uh, you know, that, if you want to say that that represents how the universe came into being, that is a, severe oversimplification of what we currently understand about the beginning of our universe. Um, For one thing, it assumes that our universe is the only universe, which we don't know that. And uh, you would be, it'd be difficult to prove that our universe is the only universe uh, just as it's difficult to prove that there are definitely other universes out there. Um, It's just kind of one of those things where we're like, well, all we know is that our universe started at this point. Now, um, we, we have a, a pretty good, um, you know, explanation through quantum tunneling and quantum scalar fields for how our universe could have uh, inflated naturally. And, um, af- but, but here's the kicker. After our universe inflated, um, there was a period of about 300,000 years of, of darkness. Like it was so hot and dense that not even light could travel through the universe. And uh, like atoms didn't form, like the quarks were just flying around places. And so, um, you know, it it wasn't until much, much later on that the first light started to traverse in the universe. And that was after atoms started to form. And so, you know, considering all of that and all the science that's gone into that to reduce that down to, and God said, let there be light. I feel like that while like, while people that, that wrote the, the Pentateuch and the Torah and all that, they, you know, they could have easily surmised, well, this universe had a beginning. Right. But um, I feel like that if God was really, uh, inspiring this text, maybe he would have been a little bit more verbose about how the universe actually started instead of just saying, Oh, let there be light. Um, also with the whole, let there be light <laughs> thing. It insinuates that there was some kind of consciousness or sentience that had to create light in the first place. And um, I just, I feel like that there's enough of a natural explanation to um, to reason your way into the universe just naturally inflating and, uh, you know, natural uh, physical laws taking over after that, which eventually coalesced into this current moment. Um, and so uh, I, I, I feel like there's a lot of assumptions that go on in like Genesis 1. Um, and that's just in the first line of Genesis uh, right there. Um, and then if you go on to like how things were populated on the earth, how things were created on the earth, uh, we know that, uh, you know, the, the way that the Bible describes things coming into existence on the earth is not how it actually happened. Um, it's, it, it's in stark contrast to what the, uh, physical empirical evidence says. So, I mean, um, it's just, it's totally um, radical to me for anybody to think that Genesis one and two, which I consider to be two completely different accounts of creation um, 
uh, yeah, as as being any kind of literal thing. And I mean, that's I, I didn't mean to try to go into <clears throat> any like deep analysis, like biblical analysis of it. But like just starting from the very beginning, I end up having a lot of problems with what the Bible says versus what the empirical evidence says. And it's really hard for me to get past this empirical evidence that contradicts what the Bible says about stuff. And so that's, that's all throughout like the creation accounts. Okay. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So let's, Oh, that was really good. That was really concise. So I'm just going to give you what I'm <clears throat> thinking about, which because I have a couple, but I, just while I'm thinking about it. So kind of really what made me dive into more of this is, so my parents got divorced my sophomore year of high school. So around, sort of been 16 at that point. So eight years ago now, my mom ended up marrying a, and she ended up started dating this atheist and he moved in with us. And this is the smartest man I know, but also what really started messing me up, one of the nicest human beings on the planet. And up until this point, you know, I think, I think a lot of the division that happens in this is that we start and in anything, we put the other side of this argument as an object that are a force that is trying to make us change and ruin our lives. So when I started looking at this man and I'm like, okay, this dude is nice and he's nice to my mom and he's nice to me. And he sits here and watches me play GTA and asks me questions. Like, I'm just like, I'm like, I, this is totally messing me up right now. So just getting to talk with him is really what started that truly started making me think critical critically. And Cause yeah, he's like, he's like, he writes literary fiction. Like he's, yeah, just super smart dude and super great dude. So I think, so yeah, so just kind of want to give that little background piece that started complicating my life a little bit. That started making me chase some of these, just chase the more deep that sort of other than, cause after seventh grade, I was like, okay, yeah. And I looked and, you know, I went to, uh, I picked up Josh McDowell, a couple of Josh McDowell's books, started looking at debates on YouTube. And yes, I knew there was tension, and but still there wasn't anything that was like, okay, I'm so swayed that I'm going to totally ditch this. So, so yeah, I was still just open though. Just like I'm open, I'm still open. So I would listen to him. We'd talk. So, so yeah, so just want to throw that out there. So really, we're concise with that. So now I'm really interested to see what you have to say about Noah's Ark. I wanted to, I didn't want to move. I didn't want to rush in the Noah. So I just was throwing that out while I was thinking through, but that was really, you put a nice little bow on it. I feel like that was super concise. But <laughs> if we have, if we have time, I might jump back into that, but I want to hear, I want to hear about good old Noah and his Ark. Right. First. So uh, let's, well, so let's <laughs> Well, so I, yeah, I, I mean, I've got a lot of problems with, with the whole Noah's Ark thing. Um, because, uh, for one thing, there's no empirical evidence that there was ever a worldwide flood. Um, and, uh, also in order to accept the whole Noah's Ark thing, you would have to accept that, you know, the, the, I mean, I guess you could believe that 
in, in an old earth, but it seems like you need to believe in a young earth. And uh, there's a lot of problems that I have with the story, like being able to fit all the animals on the ark. Um, I'm not exactly sure how Noah would have been able to do that. And then subsequent arguments that I've heard from like Ken Ham and other creationists about how the animals that were on the ark, they were not the animals that we have today, but they were some kind of proto versions that eventually produced all of the animals in this, what they call an orchard of life. But, that would have resulted in like these animals producing new stable species at a not inconsistent, but an inconceivable rate. And uh, it would have required that. Um, So there's, there's not enough water like on the earth uh, in the first place to like flood the earth. Um, Of course the counter to that is that, um, you know, the, there weren't any mountains or like like uh, Mount Everest didn't exist prior to the flood, and that Mount Everest and other mountain ranges and like that sprung up when uh, when God flooded the earth, um, uh, and uh, so the, the there's the whole water thing, um, and the, there's this idea that there was water in the crust of the earth, and that the water from the crust of the earth shot up out of fissures you know, in the earth. And that's how the plate tectonics and everything like that, uh, or well, the, the plates uh, on the earth uh, were formed. But um, the problem with that is, is that the, the, the physics just doesn't work out for water spouting out like that. For one thing, you need something in the earth to put pressure, like in order to spurt the water out from the crust for one, for two, uh, in order to move the water that fast, um, it would uh, like by the time the water reached the surface of the earth, um, it would it would literally be water vapor in the form of you know steam, and that would right. cause like a, 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 a you know a, a flash cooking of the surface of the earth for one, uh, for two it would have come out so fast that it would have you know the water vapor would have ejected off of the earth, blowing the atmosphere off the earth for one. Um, but uh, that's, you know, that's just thinking, well, maybe there was enough water under the crust in order to flood the entire earth. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's really kind of a, a moot point, considering that there's not enough water even in the crust of the earth uh, to explain a global flood. Um, and then, of course, you've got the moral aspects of it, because, you know, you've got, you know, God, uh, who's supposedly all loving and all this other stuff. And he chooses to flood the entire world. Um, of course, the Christian counter to that is that, well, you know, mankind had given themselves over to sin and they were all evil and all this other stuff. And uh, so God just decided to, you know, start over again. And um, I, I just uh, I can't imagine that they that the the people at the time were doing such horrible things that, you know, God had to raise the entire earth and just start over with this one family group um, because of, of all of the things that happened after, you know, like after the formation of Christianity, all the conquistadors that totally ravaged, um, you know, the, the Americas um, and all of the wars that were fought in, in God's name and like, all, all, all of the different violence that was done in God's name, I, I can, I can barely conceive of 
humans being more horrible in the past than they were like at those periods of time. And, um, you know, that's not to say that it couldn't have happened, but, um, I just, I feel like it, whatever they were doing was more than likely not any worse than at any other point in our history. Um, and, uh, that's before you even get to the fact of, of, you know, it was Noah and his family that repopulated the entire earth. Um, and that's, uh, you know, um, disproved by just population genetics and how our genetics work in the first place. And, um, because there's this thing called the 5,500 rule. And basically in order for a population to survive and grow, you need a population of 50 individuals to stave off the effects of inbreeding. uh, And then 500 individuals uh, to stave off the negative effects of genetic drift. And so uh, you, you need a substantial population of organisms in order for that group of organisms to survive uh, just uh, based on genetics alone. And the fact that God only left eight people to like repopulate the earth, like that just seems a bit sus to me. Um, Primarily because you, at that point in time, you know, um, this was after the fall. So assuming Christian, not Christian, creationists typically will say, well, Adam and Eve were genetically perfect. I'm like, that sounds quite Aryan of you. But they say that, you know, it's um, they were genetically perfect. And so basically our genetics work completely differently at that point in time and that there were no bad mutations that happened or anything like that. That doesn't exactly explain Noah because that was far after, you know, Adam and Eve supposedly existed. uh, uh, You know, our genetics were already corrupted. uh, So they have to specially plead about how eight individuals could have populated the entire world. But, um, you you know, just the the fact that, you know, these, these eight individuals would have had to reproduce with each other and then they would have had to reproduce with the offspring that they generated. And then their offspring would have to, you know, produce from, their own offspring. Like it just, it seems rather uh, complicated and not all that sustainable the way that the Bible has it. And um, not only that, but the diversity of life that we have on this earth does is not explained by Noah's Ark uh, landing on Mount, I believe it's Mount Ararat. Um, you know, yeah, Noah's Ark landing on Mount Ararat. Like, how, how did all the animals go back to their respective environments? Like how did the kangaroos know to kangaroo themselves, you know, from Mount Ararat to um, Australia? Like how did they do all those things uh, uh, now on, you know, geology and um, ancient um, uh, ancient geography and all that, we can explain how these different organisms got to the different places on the earth, um, you know, through various means, um, either through continent splitting and plate tectonics and uh, all the way to rafting that, that would have been occurring uh, during various ice ages and all that. Like there's very reasonable explanations on the scientific side with empirical evidence to back it up versus uh, what what I feel is a more um, uh, supernatural explanation of well, you know, it God wanted it this way, and that's how he that that's just how it happened. 
And so I can't square up between the empirical evidence that we have and what the Bible says about it. And, you know, the Bible doesn't really give specifics about like, well, how did Noah fit all of the animals on the ark? Uh, how did all the animals get back to their respective environments? Um, you know, why, why, oh, wh- there's just so many questions that are surrounding Noah's ark there. Um, and so I, I feel like I covered a, a good bit of it. Probably not all of my issues with it, but that those are kind of just <laughs> some of the things. Right. No. And I definitely feel you on a lot of those. So no, that those are all fair pressure points. But like there is definitely a feels like more reasonable argument for just not the less <laughs> no Noah's Ark. And so no, those are all reasonable. And let's say they're not is ludicrous which a lot of christians sadly do so that is fun because yeah but (laughs) but i want to respect your time we got so just super quick and then yeah so the whole house of cards with christianity is christ so what in the aspect of and then for one just so kind of i know where you stand are you i got to hear a conversation with richard carrier so are you that jesus did not exist at all or are you do you lean more towards the side of he was a person he just didn't get up from that grave and he's not god just so i know what question to ask here right uh no i i definitely don't believe that jesus was a historical person i think that he was mythical okay cool so then my last question then is with so my only is just I just want to see what your response here, because I feel like the discrediting of these three diff- different sources is just what I haven't been able to find a great answer on. So with so how so a tradition that would be appalled at the thought of Christianity perverting it would be the Jewish rabbis that just kind of get in the talk of them. I I've had a couple combos with them. Some rec- one of them let me record it. The others didn't feel comfortable with me recording the combos. But kind of digging into this, of could there have ever been any crossover? They, one of them got very offended, and that's where the conversation ended. And then the, yeah, just soup, just even thinking the thought. So just a tradition that is so extremely strict throughout history. When we go look at the Mishnah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, and I know for sure it's in the Babylonian Talmud. But it would have been recorded, yeah, it would have been recorded in the Mishnah, which would have been second century, and then compiled into the Talmud, which would have been fourth, fifth century. Babylonian would have been fifth century, I'm pretty sure, into the Talmud. So discrediting that, and then Josephus, I can actually see that argument, so we'll leave that since we only got, and then the totally different art the totally different source of Tacitus. And the, so since we only had a couple minutes, let's just focus on the Talmud. How pretty much, why do you think that source is corrupt? Pretty much of a Jewish rabbi tradition that is so extremely strict in record keeping, like, or where are their faults? I might not be seeing the faults either. So what faults do you see with that recording of Jesus's death? in the Mishnah where it talks about Yeshu and then the and then all of the details lining up 
or most of the details lining up with the trial of Jesus, which is how most Christians point to, okay, this was Jesus. And then if you haven't kind of seen that argument, I can send you something after. Of well, no, the I mean, lining I've, up with Mark. The, well, I, the lining up with Mark? I, I guess I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, sorry. The only, the, the only Jesus I know of in the Talmud was uh, a Jesus under King Janaeus, who was ruling uh, at the very beginning of the first century BCE. And uh, the exact um, specifics about this Jesus's death are in stark contrast to the one that supposedly uh, started Christianity. Um, he was killed for a different reason than Jesus. Uh, like Jesus was, uh, at least as according to the Gospels, Jesus was killed for claiming to be God or for, you know, uh, uh, something along those lines is, is what the gospels communicate. But the Jesus under King Janaeus was killed, uh, for like performing, uh, magic tricks and all this other stuff. Uh, another thing is, is that he was tried and killed by the Jewish Sanhedrin or, you know, a, a Jewish court of law. Um, and then his disciples directly after him were also subsequently killed. Um, and, uh, he was, uh, also killed in a completely different city. Uh, so, I mean, there's like, there's a, there's a number of reasons to not consider this Jesus to be the same Jesus that's talked about in Christianity. Um, and, uh, so I, I guess I don't know what you mean by the Jesus in the Talmud lining up with the gospel of Mark. I'm pretty, I mean, there's only one Yeshua that would have been in the Talmud. So that kind of gives me the answer to my question of how is a different Jesus or the source was corrupt. I don't want to respect your time. So I don't want to sit around and have to go with that, but I'll oh, send you just fine. kind of the. Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, I just didn't want to... uh, so, I mean, I don't, I don't argue and I don't think that Dr. Carrier argues that um, the Babylonian Talmud is, is corrupt uh you know on on in on this particular topic i, I don't know about okay. topics outside of this one um because you know the, there's actually evidence in the babylonian talmud of a very early tradition of interpreting isaiah 52 and 53 the suffering servant as uh, the messiah indicating that the jews were already had this concept of a suffering and dying messiah and um which kind of sets the scene for you know, what, ha what happens in the first century as far as like Paul and, and the other apostles and their theology about Jesus and why they depicted Jesus as a suffering and dying Messiah. Right. Yeah. And it was more of a, I think it was just more of a side note. So not that it necessarily corrupt, but they were sent to Jewish tradition. And I mean, Christianity was a Jewish sect for the first I mean, really, until Constantine officially said, hey, you're a real religion now. And then, <laughs> so really, for the first three years. But, um, so no, I did, it was more of a side note of because there could have been crossover. So it might not have been the main point of his argument, but he didn't. Mean, he kind of, so it was more of a side note. So, mm -hmm. I'm just, but, um, yeah, I don't want to hold you up, but I'll just kind of send that over just so you can take a look and then you might be able to shoot back, but just so you have it and then can, and then we might, you know, if we connect again, we can kind of chat more on the Jesus side of things. But I just kind of want to. But no, it's six thirty, so I told you an hour. So let's we can <laughs> shut down. Those are the main things. Just kind of getting intro, just talking. Yeah. So thank you, dude. For real, this was this was oh. fun, and I. 
hope we can relink up and we can actually get more into the apologetic side of things. Oh yeah, to totally. Have that combo. Uh, <clears throat> I, yeah, no, I've, I've enjoyed the conversation. So, you know, anytime you want to, uh, to have me back on to have, uh, you know, a deeper discussion about any of these topics, I'm, I'm definitely down for it. <laughs>